Welcome to Death Row. Like we always do about this time. <laughs> I'm gonna fight your fucking ass. You don't got, you're playing touch butt with that dork in the park. Ah, uh, there's a little snake in the grass. Hey, I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. No fucking Jesus, people. I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. Hey, pussy, are you still there? I'm back. Who the fuck is that guy? Break out the red panties. We're rich, baby. I would like to introduce... Welcome to the MMA for Money Show, episode 48. In this show, we will review UFC on ESPN 14 and preview UFC on ESPN plus 31, aka Brunson versus Shabazian. I am Bob Voss, your favorite garbage man at MMA State of Mind, here with Mike Copenhaver at Don't Cope Just Win on Twitter. Also, please follow the show at MMA for Money Show. Mike, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing absolutely amazing, man. Just uh, stoked to talk about some more UFCs. Uh, last weekend, there were some good finishes and stuff to, to t- get into, so I'm stoked to talk about those. Well, it's Wednesday, so you know what that means. The MMA4 Money Show is here. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast Podcasts, RSS Feed. Check out our YouTube. We are working on getting video here, probably starting with this one. Go back watch the Gustavo interview. We have tons of stuff available on there, including... Quick reviews, quick picks, the bets, all of the tidbits get to go on there. Our man Tippy does an amazing job putting out more content for you guys based off the show. Like, comment, share, spread the word just all over the damn place. Okay, well, we're going to go right in to UFC on ESPN 14, Whitaker versus Till, or Fight Island 13, 3, whatever we're going to go with it. Starting off early on, Nathaniel Wood got the unanimous decision, 30-27 over John Castaneda. He was a huge favorite, but kind of put on a striking clinic and looked every bit of his minus 450 price tag outside of not getting the finish. Mike, thoughts on Nathaniel Wood's performance? Yeah, I mean, well, Wood looked really good, uh, as you would versus someone that wasn't, uh, I don't even know really, you know, whose opponent was in the sense of uh, the upper echelon. So, um, he did what he should when he's a favorite, but uh, he, he didn't get a finish like he, I thought he should have. Oh, absolutely. It got close there a few times, at least with how he was landing. But next up, I actually was very more impressed about this performance. Ah, Ramazan Amiev, minus 400, huge favorite. But he got the decision across the board, 30-27 twice and 29-28 one time. I thought it was clear across the board against Nicholas Stoltz. Just absolutely controlled him, brought him down. It was... An impressive performance. I, I'm excited to see Amiev going forward. Uh, I had was pretty high on him in past shows, if you remember back then. But obviously, minus 400 was uh, a little r- too expensive for us. Uh, Mike Amiev and his absolute clinic over Nicholas Stolz. Uh, man, it was a pleasure to watch this one and see the type of performance that Amiev finally, uh, you know, showed us. Uh, but uh, you know, once again, I, I need to I need to see him versus some a little bit better competition. You know, before I get too fired up. No, that's a very good point. A lot of what we saw on this card, partly given the location, the third fight card happening here in Abu Dhabi, had a lot of semi, not local guys to Abu Dhabi, but the Dagestani, Russian, Middle Eastern contingent all in mass, and a lot of those guys were fighting, I don't want to say warm bodies, because some of the guys did have some skill, but definitely not guys they should have been fighting. Uh, next up, Beshkoya fought. And Beshkoria lost, and that's not even the best part about it. Okay, she lost to uh, Pani Kianzed, clear decision. 
and had a little bit of wrestling advantage, but the best was uh, at the end of the first round when the 10-second clacker went. She thought the round was over and began to walk away and then just ate uncontested shot after uncontested shot for 10 seconds, which swelled up her entire face and probably ruined her, in a video game, maybe her health bar for like the rest of the entire fight, which... Hmm. I enjoyed it, made me laugh, and she felt the need to strike in a fight she was losing the striking and would be winning the few times she would be able to keep it on the ground. So, I don't know, I guess, Mike, what's your opinion on the further embarrassment that is Bechkoria? I know that's that's rough, but it, it's to that by this point. Oh, uh, man, I mean, Pandy looked really good. Her boxing uh, was really sharp compared to Beth. I mean, I, it, I was, I've never been too fond of Kohea. I always thought she's kind of flat-footed and, and didn't really have much boxing. So um, I know Penny did what she should, and she actually looked really good in that performance. So I was super impressed to see her boxing when she's a, 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 rest, a jiu-jitsu girl. Next up, Tanner Bozer, everyone's new favorite, mullet-infused heavyweight from Canada. Got another finish in the second round. He got uh, round two TKO, starting with a left hook, ending with ground and pound against Rafael Pessoa. Pessoa, either, either way you can go that. Uh, he was a decent favorite. Um we had talked about it on last week's show. I wouldn't be surprised if the fight went a little bit later because it's simply the fighter he is. But I don't know. He's starting to come along with a killer instinct. Obviously, these are not heavyweights to write home about, uh, meaning his opponents. But I don't know. Strings a couple of wins together, getting this good competition. And I like it, especially a guy who's willing to turn around and fight frequently um, during this pandemic time. He can get a lot of fights in if he's willing to jump in there and seems to be the case. So. He's not quite a hype train, but I mean, I could see him fighting someone in the top 10 pretty quick, at least one or two more wins. Mike, how'd you feel about the, I think he's called the bulldozer. Is that his nickname or the tank? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I'm actually getting more and more impressed with him every time I see him. He actually has really good movement for such a big guy. I mean, it's going to give a lot of people problems as he develops uh, in his career. I think he's super tough, and the more he enters the pocket and lays off combos and believes in himself, he gets even more, uh, even better. So uh, I'm curious to see how he goes as he goes on. But I- I'm telling you, man, his movement is is definitely special for someone his size. Absolutely. You wish he. I mean, I, it's sounds bad saying this because you would say you wish he would have more power. I mean, he's putting these guys away, but he's putting them away because he's gauging their distance. He's being smart about it. He's throwing combination, and he's throwing combination with volume, which your odds of hitting a guy clean is more likely. Um, so he's impressive performance, and before I forget, it is the bulldozer, bozer, which I, I enjoy the wordplay, but I wanted to make <laughs> sure I got that nickname right. But no, yeah, he's definitely got a higher ceiling than I originally thought when he came in here to the UFC, which is nice to see a somewhat young uh, heavyweight prospect next up i think this was a conspiracy mm-hmm. not how the fight went down but i don't know if anyone saw on twitter i had been trying because i always watch the fights after the fact almost always and i spent a good chunk of sunday and monday trying to watch this fight they have the fights breaking down individually on espn plus espn plus and that's how I watch them because you cut out all the middle stuff. You get through a fight card crazy fast. It's awesome. I usually start at the very beginning and go all the way through for the most part unless there's a fight that someone would tell me not to watch. Every time I would try to start watching this fight, it would just blank screen, red circle with a line through it in the bottom left of the play bar <laughs> all day Sunday, all day yesterday. I wasn't even able to finally watch it until today. But um, we had a bet on this fight on Mike Grundy at the plus 168. And you know what? 
he fought for it. He had a really, really tight submission there in the first round. Went for a Darce uh, later on in the fight that wasn't quite as tight, but had a, it was tight, man. You saw um, Evlov grimacing, trying to push on the leg and try to create more space. And I have to imagine he probably, Grundy that is, put so much of his energy into that submission because he was going for broke that his arms were fairly gassed later on and had to result to just a straight wrestling game. I for sure gave him the first round. Uh, I think it was the third that was closer. But it was almost like he was being consistent at what he does. And uh, Mavsar, I'm probably butchering this first and last name. It's just it's going to keep happening. But uh, it would just do a flashy movement. And it was, a, it was an adequate movement, like in a transition or with a strike. And that carried way more. Um, he did have higher strike output and landing throughout the fight. That's... Uh, Evliev, but uh, it was closer than I think most people thought. I do think that Grundy had could have an argument for winning the fight. For cl- clear first round, and there was another one there at least close enough that you kind of hoped would be going our way. Um, but I guess it doesn't always, but for a dog, he fought for your money. Uh, Mike, thoughts on the Grundy versus Evliev fight? Yeah, man. I mean, Grundy did a great job for us uh, with the dog money that he was. I still think that we were on the right side of that bet for the line that it was. Grundy, uh, he did exactly what I knew he was going to do. He had the better wrestling and jujitsu, and he almost showed that when he had that Dars on um, Evliov. Evliov was super, super worried about it. It was getting deeper and deeper, and it, it was, I mean, straight determination and mind power to get out of that, and it was it was impressive. But, uh, you know, I, I would I, I say Evliov won. He won it by just a hair. It was because of the striking, um, and and that's that's not why I bet on Grundy. If you go back last week and you t- and you listen to us, we didn't say that uh, Grundy was going to be the best striker in the world. I said that his jujitsu and his wrestling were going to be better than Evliov, and that we that that would we would have that department down, and then we would have a stand up war. And unfortunately, we lost that uh, by just a, a split decision or decision as it was. But it is what it is, and, and I'll take that plus money anytime versus a world-class uh, wrestler and grappler like uh, Mike Grundy showed. I mean, he, he showed a great round one, so, I mean, it, it is what it is. Next up, we got to watch Jake Collier back in the UFC. Fat boy. Substantially more weight classes up than he used to fight. Like, dude, other than the tattoos, I would not say that's the same man. And... He got hurt. He got hurt real bad. Um, This Tom Aspinall, who I liked his movement. I liked his striking. Obviously, he's fighting a heavyweight Jake Collier. So I'm trying to, like, trying to put a little bit of salt on my just sheer impression of Tom Aspinall here. Mm -hmm. He he, he looked great. He did. He absolutely looked great. Um, If you look back on my Twitter, I think he just looks like a heavyweight uh, Eric uh, uh, Balfour. Who, if you don't know who that is, he's an uh, actor who was really big in the late 90s to early mid 2000s. But it just looks the heavyweight version of him. It's crazy. I've heard other people say he looks like uh, Frank Mir's love child. I mean, that's that's in there too, <laughs> in the running. Um, his striking looked phenomenal. But again, Jake Collier at heavyweight. So I'm, I'm just trying to, I want to see him actually fight an actual heavyweight. Um, he was a decent favorite coming in, and he got Jake Collier in the first round, uh, starting off with a right cross. And he, Collier just went down. So uh, embarrassing shot for Collier. I mean, he did him some good body shots before that, but I, it was an embarrassment for him and, I mean, another finish for Aspinall. Um, Mike, how'd you feel about this just lamb to the slaughter fight that we experienced? 
Oh, man, I'm mad at myself for not, I guess, not looking at the weigh-ins more seriously. I mean, Collier looked like absolute garbage. He looked like something Bob picks up every day of the week on his trash truck. I mean, it was it was gross, dude. I mean, his whole body was gross. I mean, he he, he looked like what uh, the Marines call the Navy's disgusting fat body. That's exactly what Jake Collier looked like. And uh, he got his aspen uh, Aspinall looked super amazing. Uh, his movement was good. His striking was good. But... Uh, once again, I, I didn't get to see him versus someone that I, I was impressed with. I'll tell you what, though. When you go from, like, uh, I believe it was middleweight that Collier was at, all the way up to where he was at heavyweight, I mean, those tattoos don't go back to the normal size, man. Like, <laughs> those things get some... You're stretching out. The, just You're just straight stretching and stretching that skin. Those tattoos are never going to look the same, buddy. And I guess that was a waste of money. But I don't know. I'm, I'm moving on before I get too uh, too mean to Collier over here. I guess here's hoping he gets an, a second shot. I mean, it technically be like a third shot in the UFC, but you get my meaning. Uh, next up, Nicholas Dalby was a huge favorite and a huge man uh, in comparison to Jesse Ronson. Big underdog here at the plus 225. But Ronson was the one that got the first round finish. Honestly, he was getting bullied. He absolutely was. He landed on... Dolby clean. It didn't even look like it hit that hard, but just hit the right spot. And Dolby dropped, and Ronson jumped on his back and got the rear naked choke. This was very like there was a lot of finishes on this card. Very exciting card, just in general. Some of it was the mismatches, and some of it was just crazy underdog performances like this one. Mike, how'd you feel about uh, the ending of this one? And I got the size difference, and just I mean how quick he locked that submission up once he rocked Dolby. Oh, man, I, I felt something funny going on with this matchup. I, I couldn't quite see it. And, man, Ronson came in. He was super impressive. Uh, I think he hit uh, Dolby with a counter strike that ended up knocking him down and then uh, got on top uh, behind him and got a rear naked choke that uh, was in deep. Um, so I it, it was really impressive from Jesse Ronson. I mean, he's deserved it. He's worked a long time to get where he's at. Uh, to see him go in and out of the UFC and to correct his games and to get better and better, uh, it just earns my respect even more. And I, I was delighted to watch that performance. Next up, old man Francisco Trinaldo was a minus one sixty five favorite. We talked about that. Old man. Old yeah, old man. Old uh, yeller. Forty one, according to them. But I mean, hey, anybody's guess. Anybody's knock a motherfucker out. Of I don't, but knocking people out that are clearly beating the brakes off him for two and a half minutes. Like I was very, very impressed with Jay Herbert, like his striking, he was putting together the takedown defense. He was doing like dude looked good. He was landing. His kicks were phenomenal and was clearly beating Trinaldo rocked him pretty bad at one point. And then, just that overhand left from Trinaldo landed like square on Herbert's forehead and just sent him down and then did the follow-up shots that <laughs> Dan Hardy screamed at Herb Dean for. But uh, at least one of those follow-up shots is warranted because, I mean, you never know when a guy drops. It's, like, it, it's kind of up to a ref if you're going to walk off KO or not. Like when a guy drops like that, there's a lot of refs that will jump in right then with how they fall and they'll wave off the fight. Others want to see how they react to a guy coming on top of them. I get it. I totally get it. And yes, I'm aware of what I just said and can be taken the wrong way. I'm still moving on and we don't need to keep going through it. But um, Trinaldo looked good in that moment, looked bad pretty much the rest of the fight. But uh, it makes me more excited to see uh, Jay Herbert going forward. And kudos to anyone who 
uh, put the money on Trinaldo. I know because he missed weight, ended up coming in at 160. That at one point he got all the way down to minus 120, I believe. I could I could check that exactly, but he was just getting the bake the brakes beaten off him. It, it was it was looking bad. Yeah, he closed at plus 112. So kudos to anyone who got that those odds on him at the tail end, especially when we did the show earlier in the week. He was minus 165. So. Shit, you win was, that. If he was plus 110 when we saw him, he would have been bet for sure. Oh, I mean, no, I, 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 we, we, we always bet win. We always bet him at plus money. Always. How'd you feel about his overall performance and, I'm, I guess, um, Herbert? Because he did look great, other than uh, getting finished. <laughs> Jai Herbert, he, he looked really good, man. His striking, his composure is what impressed me the most. Uh, when Trinaldo had him in bad positions and he, it was early on, he still kind of uh, you know knew that yeah, I'm going to get out of this position and I'm going to get up and start striking again. And he had the clear advantage to all that. The only thing he didn't have is that OG experience and that grit and determination that I talk about that you just can't train, you can't buy. It's just something you have. And that's what that left hook comes from, man. It's just something that, you know, everything's going good. Everything's fine and dandy. And all of a sudden, you know, you get full call versus Derek Lewis. You know, this is MMA. This is not, this is nothing's a sure thing until the bell rings. And the stoppage by Herb Dean. Herb Dean is one of the most spectacular referees I've ever seen in my entire life. I've met him personally down um, when I was younger with my, my brothers fighting the amateur scene down in San Diego, or actually not just San Diego, but at Tijuana. All of them would have gone to Baby Rock Cafe, and uh, they had a ring down there, and that's where most of them would scrap. That's where uh, I met Jason Herzog and, uh, like I said, Herb Dean as well. I mean, uh, they're great, great professionals. They train jiu-jitsu themselves. They're martial artists. They, they really do know what they're doing. I'm not going to jump on um, the beating up Herb Dean train because it's easy to do when you're in the spotlight with so many people on you. I mean, during COVID, there's extra spot uh, eyes on you. I think it's a little bit disrespectful of Dan Hardy to lose his temper when he's supposed to be doing one job, uh, and that's the, the announcing his emotions, uh, getting the best of him, and, and showing an outburst to another employee of the UFC or someone who's been in the uh, organization so long. I think it's disrespectful to Herb Dean. I think you give him the benefit of the doubt. Even Herb Dean, after he does something wrong, he'll he's quick to look at it and to adjust his uh, judging or his uh, refereeing. And so it is what it is. Great performance by Jai Herbert. Uh, sucks for him that he got that Trinado left hand, but that's uh, that's what Trinado's all about, man. The old man is no one to fuck with. Oh, I, absolutely. And, I mean, refs are only really acknowledged when they mess up. For the most part, um, was it a late stoppage? I mean, yeah, but yeah, hair, a hair. But like I said, well, that's what like, but like, what like, like I said when I said, like when I first brought it up, it's like you knock him down, you go for at least one follow up shot, guaranteed, because you're not supposed to stop until the ref stops you, because there's the chance that you stand up, like, oh, it's a knockout, and walk away, and then they let the guy stand up, and then you have those times where you knock someone out twice, which is just as bad for their brain going forward than just one knockout that night, but. I don't know. E- either way, Trinaldo, like like you said, the OG dug in deep and found his spot and landed big. I mean, Trinaldo's got some serious power. He holds it late. It's, just, it's good to know going forward. Next up, Kamzat Jemayev, who everyone is obsessed with, got his second win in 10 days, both of which in the first round, but in all seriousness against lackluster competition, and he's already ranked. Um, you get to skip ahead of a lot of people, apparently, when you take um, two fights on 10 days in two different weight classes against 
like guys he fought against. I'm trying to like hold back my verbiage for these guys because like some of them it's their UFC debuts. Like I know uh, Race McKee was it's his debut, and he's going to Abu Dhabi and all this stuff, and trying to say anything bad about him. But this is not UFC caliber guys. Like he was a minus twelve hundred favorite. I would hope he beats him in the first round. <laughs> Serious. Like, Doron, he looks awesome. I hope he, this shtick of I will smash everybody, I hope he looks this great uh, going forward. I know in his career pre-UFC, he's had some struggle when anyone can stop the shot, which guys higher up in the division can uh, at welterweight. But he's a minus-1200 favorite. He should finish in the first round. If he doesn't finish in the first round, he shouldn't have been a minus-1200 favorite. So I'm a fan, uh, especially if this keeps going, but I'm not going to... Just completely jump on the train yet because I, I would like to see him actually fight a name I recognize. It's not that hard to find a name I recognize. Obviously, we do this show every week. I know a lot of names in a lot of divisions. It's like, get to a guy that I know, please, just so I could like gauge you against other people in the division, and then I'm good. If he does this, if he does this exact thing against Bilal Muhammad, dude, I'm sold. I, I'm knocking down the door saying he's going to be champ one day. Absolutely. If he does this to someone like Bilal Muhammad, I absolutely would do that or like a guy of that caliber. So I'm going to hold off and wait and see for him to fight someone along those lines before I completely jump on the train. That might lose me some money going forward, but I don't know. I'm willing to wait. Mike, are you willing to wait? Or are you willing to crown this guy the future champ as so many people have already? Oh, man. I mean, he, he looks amazing. And, it, you know, like you said, versus competition that is new to the UFC. It wasn't like he was fighting a world-class grappler or world-class wrestler. Um, you know, it also looks like he doesn't want to strike at all, even at all. I mean, he's going in there for a straight takedown immediately. And so I'm I'm curious to see him versus somebody that's got world-class grappling. Um, you know, Damian Maya. I would love to see um, Kazmat take down Damian Maya and then hold him on the ground and try and beat him like that off his back. That would be something that I would I would be impressed with. Um, I know Brendan Allen just tweeted, I think it was, that he was willing to sign up for the challenge. Oh, I'm talking uh, about that. And, and that would be a great test for me to see. I just want to see someone with some grappling that isn't scared off their back. And I, I, I can't say that Rice McKee is that guy. Um, and he wasn't going to be that guy at uh, plus, you know, 2,000 or whatever he was. Um, but, you know, Kazma, he looked impressive for what he does, man. I mean, I like watching uh, someone pick someone up and walk him across the cage and put him down and uh, smash on him. But it was a super unfair mismatch. you got to be joking me if you guys think that they were even close to the same caliber of fighters. Um, I don't even know if uh, Rice McKee could beat many people in the UFC. So we'll give that kid another shot, too, and see what he does. But uh Kazmat looks cool i love wrestling and jitsu so i, I want to see more of it but i want to see it versus some upper echelon fighters absolutely with you with that i just wanted to quick look up rice mckee's record i mean he was 12 2 and 1 going into this but he's a cage warriors guy i've seen yeah. one of his fights from cage warriors but i need to see ufc stuff He's only fought in Cage Warriors, Bama, and some other promotions that I've never heard of. So not saying those are bad promotion, uh, promotions. Cage Warriors is a fantastic promotion, but like a lot of, we've had a lot of stars come from there. I mean, Conor McGregor came from there. Nicholas Dalby came from there. A lot of guys uh, from the European scene have come from there. But I don't know. This was just, it was always going to be too much for him. I mean. Dude, I feel like Mickey Gull could have beat up Bryce McKee. 
I mean, that's a, well, give, especially given the um, experience he's had in the Axcon. Very, it's very possible. One thing I'll give to Race McKee over maybe someone like uh, Mickey Gall is uh, Race McKee has a good jab, which yeah, I think no, could mess just, with him. But, but getting him around. to the ground, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing your point. And it, it, it's, it's a real possibility. I'm not saying it's not. Like that, that, I'll tell you what, that would be a closely lined fight. And yep. there's very few people in the UFC that I would pick Mickey Gall against. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh, next up, a fantastic performance from Alex Oliveira. He banks more money for his soon-to-be litter of 10 children and eight baby mamas that all live on the same street. And they could all live happily ever after after this win, even though he kind of goes win one or two, lose one. Kind of just depends if he has that. Itched to perform, and man, he had it in spades here. He looked great, uh, hit into the body really well, and he learned early on what all fighters should know. You're going to get at least one free groin shot, and you're going to get at least one free eye poke. So mm-hmm. you might as well throw him in there, man. I mean, as, as long as it looks like you're kind of aiming for the stomach. I mean, I know that's what he was doing. He was he was aiming for the legs, and he was really like hitting Sabata to the body because he thought Sabata had a weak body. And Sabata does kind of have a weak body. He, he doesn't take those shots super well. So that was the game plan. Well, I mean, it only took like one, like one for sure went low and another one was questionable kind of at the belt line. Uh, one of the times where Sabata went down to his back, but I don't know. Oliver looked great. Um, he was in a hard spot. We talked about that. He was my 175 favorite. He should have been, but he has just enough downside when he decides he doesn't want to perform that those type of odds are hard to support. Um, I said he should absolutely win, but I don't know. He's, he's the type of guy that just won't show up one time and loses to people that he should clearly destroy. Uh, Mike, how do you feel about the performance and especially the kicking game of Alex Oliveira? Yeah, man. I mean, last week we picked Oliveira to win this fight. Um, you know, Sabata has been training for the last two years as boxing. So I, I was actually impressed that Oliveira could even um, stand with Sabata and then, you know, continue to do the manhandling that he does. Uh, but, you know, he was a bullfighter. We talked about it last week. He was not training his entire life to be a, a mixed martial artist. He is very, very impressive for the raw talent that we get to see unfold, uh, unfold, unfold before us. You know, he is literally... Uh, becoming a mixed martial artist in front of us in the UFC. He's getting better and better each time. His kicks were absolutely amazing to me. Uh, he's just a hard-boned guy, it looks like, you know? So I just, I- I'm always impressed with him. It's just, I think when he lose, has that mental lapse is when he knows that that other guy just has a lot of experience and that that's he just doesn't feel confident. And that's when we lose the Alex Oliveira that we want to see. And obviously, every fighter we lose and we don't lose their confidence, but uh, the little lapses that we speak of, I believe that they come from when he just feels a little bit inferior to the opponent. Not saying he is, but he just might have it on on paper. But he needs to just push past that and just show his raw talent. But I, I love watching it. No, if we would, if I would be able to know that this Alex Oliveira that we saw this last weekend is the guy that was going in to fight every time, I would be a huge fan and back him all the time. Like he, like this would have been a steal at this price if we knew this is how he was going to perform. But I mean, that's part of the trap of the odds we usually get on him. Uh, next up, Paul Craig, the Bear, Bear Jew, Jew, minus one twenty-five versus Godzmarad Antigulov plus one hundred five. And I, I had no money on this fight, but in hindsight, 
this is one of the ones that I, if I think I would have, I would have watched the weigh-ins, I probably would have uh, put a little bit on uh, Paul Craig. And Dugulov just looked like uh, like a sack of potatoes. He looked like he should be at least one weight class lower, just with all the punch going on. Um, Paul Craig went right across the cage to start engagement, was landing pretty well, and then uh, Antti Gulov started going for a takedown. And again, Paul Craig gets submission off his back, gets the triangle. Man, I don't know. He is the, the oddest yet most specifically skilled fighter for these um, mid-tier to lower-level light heavyweights. And I'm down to watch it for eternity. So <laughs> my <laughs> thoughts on uh, Paul Craig's triangle. Oh, the bear Jew, man. He, every single time, man, he just proves doubters wrong, and he just pulls off these submissions that are really, really impressive to me. I mean, Antigolov isn't some slouch on the ground. He isn't some, he doesn't have, you know, he has wrestling. It's not like he doesn't know what he's doing, you know? And uh, to see people fall victim to his web and his trap of the triangle uh, is super impressive. But he's one of those longer, lankier guys that I talk about when you're rolling with that can lock up a triangle or an arm bar or they body triangle you and it's just locked in much deeper because they're, they're lankier. So, um, you know, cats off the Paul Craig, uh, a hell of a steal on the, on this price for uh, whoever bet him because he, he performed like a negative 1,200 favorite. Yeah, I know quite a few guys that were on him just for this his specific skill set and in this fight. But I don't know, he, he is going forward. It's, I don't know, his fights are fairly easy to call. And his, I don't know if it's from experience or what, almost like his chin has gotten better. Like Duke can take some punishment and uh, give a few and get in great spots. So moving on. Uh, this one hurt way more than the Grundy one. The Grundy one was, we lost both our bets on this fight card. The Grundy one, he did what we thought he would do. He went for it. And that's all you could expect from a dog. You want that a dog money. You want them to go for it. And he went for it. And he almost got it. And if he would have gotten it, we would have been overjoyed. And at that kind of dog money, that was absolutely worth it. This one was a little bit frustrating to watch. Mainly because hearing the commentary, seeing how everyone was judging the fight. I mean, you knew it was going to be close. You absolutely knew it was going to be close. This was uh, Carlos Esparza versus Marina Rodriguez. We had money on Marina Rodriguez, who, in terms of damage, killed Carla Esparza. And we said that's what was going to happen. In terms of striking, she killed Carla Esparza, which we said she would. We said she would get taken down. Absolutely, that was going to happen. But in terms of like doing anything on the ground, Esparza was doing the absolute bare minimum that if this was just the last fight card, if you go back to the last fight card, there was a few refs that were just like standing everybody up. This one would have got standed up. Stand that shit up. Ten times. There was a few times where she did advanced position and she did do enough pitter-patter shots to keep it going. But even like in all seriousness, the most damage that was happening when she was on top was Rodriguez from the bottom with those elbows. She bloodied Carla up. And don't worry, I'm not, I'm not delusional. I'm not saying this was a one-way ass-kicking from Rodriguez on Esparza other than the fact that she was held down for a little bit. It wasn't that extreme. I'm not saying it was a robbery or anything like that. But, I mean, like, uh, MMA Decisions, a great website that breaks down both judges' scorecards that breaks down each one they gave as well as a bunch of media outlets. Media outlets were pretty much 50-50 on this one. It kind of just depends what you score. Um I will score ground. I absolutely do. Me and Mike love the ground game. We absolutely do. One, it leads to something. When you're on top, 
throwing shots, advancing for position, trying to get a submission. Like I saw a lot of people give like round one of uh, Grundy uh, Evliev to Evliev. I'm like, how? There was a near submission that was the closest thing to a finish, and he wasn't just holding on top. He was advancing position and had the biggest moments of that round. Like, if you have a close submit, like, the, the, a bogus submission that's not even close, yeah, yeah, I understand not counting that because the defense was great and everything like that, and the transitions, everything. I don't know. This one hurt more um, just because how we saw judging go on earlier in the night on how uh, wrestling went uh, versus how this one went, and... I'm sorry. I don't think Esparza did just about any bit, any lick of damage. Uh, so uh, this was, a, they, even when they announced his split decision, I still thought it was going to go our way. It did not. Um, obviously, I've had other ones that hurt more in the past, but I do think that this could have gone to Rodriguez, even just simply off damage. And I know a damage isn't like a scoring criteria, but it usually comes from most significant strikes or just all around more shots, which I thought Rodriguez had for at least two of the three rounds. Uh, one of them was close. One was clear Rodriguez. It was one clear, one clear, and one could have gone either way, and I, I tended to go Rodriguez. Mike, the sad fight. Uh, man, this uh, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because, uh, like you said, earlier in the night, we had a bet on Grundy. I'm, I'm okay to say I lost that fight. I lost mm-hmm. that fight because he didn't have enough striking, uh, which then led to damage which then lost me the bout versus Evliov, okay? So that's why we lost there. Now we go to this bout. Th- this time, Asparza would be the Grundy of this example. Asparza takes her down and does absolutely no damage, nothing, doesn't si- pass for side control, doesn't go to full mount ever really, doesn't get to a submission, doesn't really threaten at all, doesn't lay any damage at all. Marina Rog- Rodriguez damaged her face, Broke her orbital socket, I believe. I mean, she couldn't even see out of one eye. I, I don't understand how you can say that Carla Esparza won that fight, but Grundy lost his fight. Um, I, I don't get it. It's crazy. But uh, it, it definitely was a closer fight than I wanted to be. It, it was because of those stupid takedowns that led us to less time to damage Esparza's face. But those judges are blind, man. Esparza's taking her down and holding her down because she's praying to God that she doesn't let her up to, to she smashes on her. So uh, it definitely hurt, man. This whole card, man, was a, a parlay buster. I don't think there was a parlay to be had on this card. It, it's, you know, when people thought that shit was going to cash, it did not cash. Uh, you know, there was a lot of great betters who were on the same side as us, and we both ate shit together. So I don't want to eat shit together, but we did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That did happen. Um, I think my biggest regret on the card is you have regrets on every card, but my specific thing for this one is, is, uh, fights that you pass that you regret. You may think I'm talking about the Chinaldo fight that that's not it because the odds that we had at the time were the reason that we passed. If we had those odds earlier, we're gone. So I'm not regretting that one. I'm regretting the next fight that we're going to talk about. Fabricio Verdum was plus 280 at the time we recorded, um, versus Alexander Gustafson minus 340. And the reason I'm regretting it, okay, now Fabricio got the first round armbar. The reason I'm regretting it is because I talked on the show about how I was going to look at how Gustafson looked mm-hmm. and how he weighed, and then I was going to make my decision. And I had a number in my head. I didn't say it on the show. I had an, and so anyone can take that how they want if I'm making this up now or what. But if anyone you would talk, I, I talked to a few guys on Twitter about this. And they sent me the pictures of the comparisons and uh, how much he weighed and everything like that, saying that he weighed 240. 
that made me not feel good. Um, he didn't go, I joked about it, he didn't go full Latifi where he's pushing the heavyweight limit, mm-hmm. but he did not look good, man. He absolutely did not. I thought he was going to come in at like 230 tops, like 230 tops. I get the feeling that he starts his cut um, in the last couple weeks of camp, probably at around 230. So that's where he's going to have the best cardio and all that stuff, but still have some size. I mean, he wasn't going to fight a huge heavyweight. He's fighting Fabrizio Verdum, who always weighs about 238, 238 to 244 in almost every fight, unless he's a a fat tub as in other fights. But when he's focused, that's about where he weighs at. So you weren't going to be outsized and you had the length. And by the time when I saw those pictures late on Friday, I'm like, yeah, I might have to do a bet on that. I'm going to real I, cause I saw how Augustine looked. I'm, like, I'm going to look into how Verdum looked when I get home from work and then maybe I'll, I'll make my decision. Cause it kind of, it kind of goes both ways, even though it was mainly on Gustafson and my own fault. I never followed up. When I got back, I was doing some other stuff, never looked into how Verdum looked and didn't want to do a bet without looking at first at how Verdum looked. And this was a missed opportunity. I don't feel as bad about this one, even though this was good dog money as I did Mick not betting Roxanne Matafari when she was plus 700. But this is a second. This is my, this is my second big dog that I really thought I was going to bet, given circumstances, once I saw Augustuson looked, and I didn't. So... It's not even a swing and a miss because I didn't even swing, but it's a strike regardless. So I, mean, I didn't have any money on it on either side, but I don't know. Gustafson, people say, hey, I keep hearing, he looked good until he lost. I'm like, it was a, mm-hmm. it, it ended in the first round, like two and a half minutes into the first round, and he got armbarred. So I guess he didn't look great, and he's not planning on retiring. So they're going to give him to some monster at heavyweight. It's probably going to knock him clean. So I don't know. Sad for Gustafson. Kudos to Verdum, who gets out of his UFC contract on a win, and I guess I'm out. So, Mike, thoughts on this uh, heavyweight debut for Gustafson, who it's the first time I heard them in the, the build-up to this talk about when they announced the fighters, they said three-time UFC light heavyweight title challenger. <laughs> I had never heard him say that before. When they said that, I'm like, ooh, that's like salt on an open wound, but all right, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, if you go uh, back last week, uh, we both said that the money line on Gustafson was absolutely crazy. I specifically said that uh, the submission prop by uh, Doom would be your best option, and that's exactly what cashed. Um, we definitely didn't pick it as a bet, but if you went back and listened to us, we were not leaning Gustafson. We were leaning Doom, and I was strongly leading by uh, leaning submission. He pulled that off, man, and I was screaming like on the top of my lungs and couldn't believe it. Felt like such a pussy. But uh, it is what it is, man. Uh, Gustafson did not look good. His body didn't look uh, muscular. He looked flabby and out of shape and um, just came for a payday, I guess. In the co-main event in uh, Rosario Nagira's final fight in MMA in the UFC, as what he says, so grain of salt, who knows how that's going to keep going. But as of what he said going into this fight, the end of the trilogy versus Mauricio Shogun Hua, he lost and went 0-3 in said trilogy. It was This one was a lot closer with split decision. He made it to the final bell and looked really, really good in the second round. But he ultimately lost and sails off in the sunset at 44 with a ton of damage done on him. And although Hua still alive and still kicking, barely squeaked by here. <laughs> so we, it's funny because we were taught this was a possible bet for us for this fight card. 
And exactly what happened in the fight is what made me nervous and not want to pull the trigger on it. He ultimately got the win. But even when they were reading that judge's scorecard, I would have just like, I would have been so clenched that whole time just hoping. And obviously that one pulled off. But I mean, they just fought a sloppy elder statesman light heavyweight fight that was entertaining for the age group and was a co-main event. These are all statements. <laughs> Mike, how'd you feel with this uh, co-main event? Fulfilling the trilogy. Uh, well, it, it was a definitely entertaining. I'll give him that. And Nogueira, man, I, I doubted him a little more than uh, in this fight than most times. And I, I just, I didn't believe he was going to come off of a layoff and uh, perform that well. And he did a great job versus who he almost had him out of there a few times. I was definitely shitting bricks uh, during this uh, fight. For some reason, uh, my stoner ass thought that uh, we had a bet on Hua, but it was the fact that we were going to bet on Hua. So I was all discombobulated. Oh, up until just before the show went on. So I got yeah. you. What are so, you feeling? Like, it was like the last-minute switch. So <laughs> it's crazy. And then to watch Hua win, and then we lost with Marina, and I'm like, what the fuck? Holy shit. <laughs> but whatever, man. Uh, it was a good fight for the, the age they were, and uh, hats off to Nogueira and uh, have fun in retirement. In the main event, this was a, I very much uh, enjoyed this fight. Uh, Robert Whitaker was minus 120 when we recorded against Darren Till. He gets the 48-47 unanimous decision victory. That is how I scored it. I know that um, a lot of people did, like some of the vocal people did score it for Till. Um, almost as evenly split as Esparza versus uh, Rodriguez. Obviously more f- fanfare for this one because it was a, a bigger fight, but uh, I thought Whitaker clearly won three of the five. Um, I don't necessarily understand the people that had it four rounds to one for Whitaker. That I'm not as sure about, but um, I for sure had it three to two. Till did look really good. Got uh, hit Whitaker with that ridiculous elbow when Whitaker was on the way in and dropped him down and kind of roughed him up for the remainder of that round. But then Whitaker came back strong in the second and won the majority of the rest of the rounds, uh, in my opinion. So the hard part here for Till is he is one and one at middleweight. Uh, the guy he beat in a close fight looked terrible in his most recent fight. And he just lost to a guy that is, if not championship level you know i know he was champion but given where championship level is now maybe not championship level and you lost to him so he's kind of in a rock and a hard place even though i think he is probably one of the tops in the division which if you go back to enough shows or things i've said in the past that is me eating a little bit of crow here for throwing a lot of shade on till at different parts in his career so i'm willing to say he's one of the best middleweights on the planet and i'm gonna leave it at that before i throw up in my mouth a little bit so, Mike, how do you feel about the, the main event here? Uh, I thought it was a great performance. I know some people uh, were a little upset that the guy, both guys were a little gun-shy. But, I mean, there's consequences for every single strike in there. And I, I actually liked the defensive uh, stuff that Bobby Knuckles and Till were doing. They were both just amazing. Uh, it took me a while to figure out that Till got hurt. I thought it was his hand that got hurt originally, but then it was his knee. And I kept telling my buddy here, I was like, man, he needs to kick that hand or, or kick the – and then I figured out his knee uh, from a stomp, I guess. But uh, it was a 48-47 to me at the same way. I had uh, three rounds to two uh, Whitaker. It was close, though. And uh, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have like made a big deal if it went the other way. We had no uh, dog in the race besides we love Bobby Knuckles. Absolutely. Big fan of his. I'm happy to see him get 
the win. And honestly, I hope they don't just like jettison to him, him to another title shot. It's like give him a couple non Romero level fights so he could just sharpen some skills and keep his brain going for the dude, future. No, no homo though. The body on Bobby Knuckles, dude, is insane. Dude. Well, I know what's funny about it though, because I, I was, I ended up getting, I was midway through the fight, I paused to take a call. And yes, we're about to get weird about uh, Bobby Knuckles' body. But you know what? If you're the type of dude to listen to a podcast about two dudes talking about predominantly dudes fighting, you can also appreciate the male form. So get excited for what you're about to hear, dang it. Okay, so <laughs> the, the way it was frozen, he has a, like, he's absolutely ripped, right? Jack. But has such a unique body type. Because, mm-hmm. like, he doesn't have the V at all. He's pretty much a box. But his abs shoot out like there's no tomorrow. And he, not quite uh, Sage Northcutt style biceps. And if you know what I'm talking about, look at a picture of Sage Northcutt. When he's flexed, he looks normal. But anytime his arm is straight, he has overly developed biceps that don't make sense. Like they don't match the other muscles in his arm. But there's this part where like he's lifting up one hand. Uh, this is Bobby Knuckles wise, where I happen to freeze it. Dude's arms are gigantic, massive. Which, and I realized that I wasn't thinking he had that big of an upper body because he has such a boxy torso. But I was kind of fun. Like it made his tats on his shoulders look real good. And yeah, yeah. this is stuff we're actually talking about in the show. It, hey, it's, it's gonna awesome. make it's gonna make me go and work out harder. Okay, exactly. That was it was awesome. And like, no offense to like, it's why as weird as it is, I've never been so overly convinced that Till can't make weight at welterweight because I know he's long, but like he he looks small compared to Whitaker, in my opinion, and Whitaker is not that big of a middleweight. I mean, he filled out a little bit after he went up to middleweight, but I don't, that's why I was never like, I'm like, even like when he everyone's like, oh man, he's so drawn out and he made 171. I'm like, yeah, but I mean like, I can't even see like half of his muscles. Mm-hmm. Which weird sounds weird saying it, but like all these guys that are super drawn out, as long as they did it the correct way, they get super leaned out at the tail end of their cut. And I mean, obviously, it always look way better when they're fueled up and uh, in the cage. But like, that's why I've always just been like, I don't understand why he can't make the weight. I mean, obviously, I know he didn't grow up, grow up as a wrestler, and this is someone me right here who has never had to make a specific weight on a scale for just about anything other than just vanity reasons. Um, I know I probably couldn't make it through a weight cut. I would probably cry my eyes out and go in the corner and probably just like rock myself back and forth. But that's why I don't get paid to do that. <laughs> so I'm going to move on just because I, I could probably talk about uh, Whitaker and like other fighters' bodies for a while. So I'll say that for Twitter. So if you're into that sort of thing, don't send me a DM because that instantly gets it creepy. But if you want to converse in a normal way, just back and forth on Twitter. I'm cool with that too. <laughs> just send me a random picture of a fighter's body, and we'll go back and forth with it. Like, I'm no shame. I'll do it. I don't mind. I, I wake up early, man. You get up at about like three, four in the morning Central Time, man. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, this was a long review portion, but honestly, a lot of stuff happened on this fight card. Uh, the next fight card we're gonna go over. We're going to rush through it, not in a bad way, but like we're going to quick picks for most of it like we usually do. And we're going to stop on what I deem necessary fights. And obviously, Mike will jump in if there's other ones that he wants to talk about more that I'm just going to do a quick pick for. But this next card's going to go faster. I'm aware we're like 45 minutes in and we only just reviewed a fight card, but this one's going to go quick. Trust me. Um, this is on UFC on ESPN plus 31, Brunson versus Shabazian. We're back at the apex. 
Chris Gutierrez kicks us off. He's a minus 350 favorite against Cody Durden, who is plus 255. And Tyler Durden's long-lost cousin, who everyone is ashamed of, likes to hide in the corner and isn't as good as his cooler Brad Pitt, Edward Norton-style relative. And he's brought in here to lose. He's not brought in here to lose. They need fighters. They need fighters that are willing to step in. And Chris Gutierrez has mountains of experience on this guy. And I think he's easily going to win. Mike Gutierrez versus Durden. Oh, man, I actually think this is going to be a little bit closer of a fight than uh, people are predicting. I, I'm going to edge with uh, Gutierrez, but I wouldn't be surprised if Durden uh, and it showed up. Next up, we're going back to our old ways. Yes, early, early, early on the fight card, we have our bet. Jamal Emmers is plus 145 versus Tim- Timur Valiev, who is minus 165, but... Since Mike is the one who initially picked this, I'm going to give it to him for the first breakdown. Yeah, man, Tamir is, uh, you know, super deadly. He's part of that Dagestani, uh, you know, Russian crew that just gets down and dirty. He's also a brown belt uh, from Ricardo Almeida, who's one of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners uh, in America and practically the world. I, I just see that his clear advantage in wrestling, um, his cardio, his jiu-jitsu, every single thing goes in Tamir's favor. Uh, it's not that Jamal Emmers is some slouch, but it's just the fact that Tamir is that deadly. I think that Tamir can get him down, pound him out, or get a submission quite easily. So that's why we're going to be throwing down this bet. And what's the, the line at right now, Bob? Uh, minus 165. So at one one six negative one sixty five, we'll be putting down that one point six five units to win one unit on Tamir to show you that world class Dagestani wrestling. Well, and on top of that, he is so fun to do research on because when you originally brought him up, I'm like, man, I like him here, and I'm thinking about all the wrestling acumens. You look delve, delve deeper into this guy; it's like he is he has pancreation titles. He is a master of sport in pancreation for Russia. He has. Uh, stand up. I think it's uh, the Wushu Federation has a championship in that. It's like he has the striking to go along with it too. Um, obviously, Emmers has a reach on him, a pretty big reach advantage. But I think it's either six or eight inches. But I mean, he's he's not going to establish that jab, and he's tall and lanky. And like you said, I think he's going to get put down and punished. I'm very surprised by these odds here because when Mike first brought this up as a possible bet, I'm like, man, this is going to be minus 200. It's, it's not going to be bettable. It's not going to be bettable. And then when mm-hmm. we open it up, it's minus 165. I'm like, this is a steal. He should be at least minus 200. So happy day to us. Um, moving on, Marcus Perez is minus 200 versus Eric Spicely plus 170. Um, I have been hurt by Spicely in the past and impressed by Perez. So almost out of spite, I'm going to go with Perez. Mike, Perez versus Spicely. I'm going to go with Perez. I think Perez is just a a bigger dog. He's got more heart and uh, more power. Next up, Ray Borg is a minus 225 favorite versus Nathan. I want to say Mains. I'm going to go with that. Um, Although the double S at the end of the name is kind of messing with me. Uh, Borg had a fast, well, I guess not fast, a last hour pullout in his last fight, uh, family issues with his son as he is reoccurringly having to deal with. So I'm um, not sure exactly where his headspace is going to be, but that's just kind of like his fight career going forward. Super skilled, great in the scramble. Um, his bullying capability was always better at 125, even though most of the fights are at 135 because he can't make 125. 
But uh, this should be a good fight. If Borg's head is in it, I would go with Borg. Mike, Borg, Mains. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a good fight, too. I, I think Mains is also a little bit better than people are making him out to be as well. I think Borg doesn't really have his mind all there at all times. So I, I think this could get hairy. Um, I, I'm going to go with Mains. Next up, a longtime UFC veteran. Sorry, I, I don't know why I get a weird... I enjoy talking about Ed Herman because of all the ways I could, like, disparage him, and that's probably not a good thing. But uh, Ed Herman is a plus-160 underdog versus Gerald Mearshart, minus-185. Uh, we have been backers of Gerald Mearshart multiple times in the past. I believe we are 3-1 and one in Gerald Mearshart bets. Sadly, the last one was the one that lost. Um, Ed Herman, short fuse. Uh, this fight's up at 205, so both these guys are going up. Ed Herman has kind of made that his more recent home uh, in his last couple fights. Uh, Mearshart, this is, I would hope, a one-time deal, but I guess we'll find out. Ed Herman was a very, 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 very slow middleweight at striking at just about everything, and he is glacial at light heavyweight, uh, <laughs> lumbering, doesn't throw in combination. He has a decently slick ground game, but not necessarily the wrestling to go along with it. Uh, I like Mirshot's ground game. I would say that would be his edge. It's just in terms of opportunistic submissions. Um, in general, though, Herman does have good defensive uh, jujitsu. I mean, you'll look back in his career and you're like, oh, he's been subbed a couple times. But if you look back who subbed him, it's Maya. It's Jacare. It's like he, he hasn't really been subbed by any non-elite grappler and i'm not sure mirshot's quite to that level but i don't know i like mirshot a lot here um if i saw a finish as an opening for him this was a chance of being a bet but since i'm not necessarily sure i see a finish sometimes herman can lull people into his glacial pace so uh pick his mirshot no bet mike mirshot versus short fuse yeah man i think the gm3's got way better jujitsu than uh short fuse but uh, he's going to have to get Ed down, and that's going to take a little bit of damage. So I, that's why we, I can't really bet um, him is because I couldn't trust that he's going to actually gonna, GM3 is going to get him down without taking the damage and going to sleep. So GM3 is a tentative pick. Next up, Frankie Signs is plus 175 versus Jonathan Martinez minus 210. Frankie Signs, known for having a close fight with Uriah Faber in 2015. <laughs> Sorry, it, that was the beginning of why everyone thought he was a big thing. And I fell for it too. I thought he was amazing. I thought, like, oh, okay, if he got that close to Uri Faber, he's going to fight these other guys. He's going to beat him easy. And then he got finished by Eddie Wineland. I'm like, okay, well, Eddie Wineland still got some power. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Then he lost a split decision to Augusto Mendez. Actually, I did think he won that fight, but he lost a split decision. He did win a split decision versus Marab Davishvili. We were like, oh, this is great. He's back on the winning train. Then he fought Henry Bionis, who isn't very good, and then got finished by Marlon Vera. So he is just oh, – I should take it back. I think it's the win over your, uh, Uriel Contra that originally started the hype. Either way, um, he is 39 at bantamweight. I just don't see it going well for him here. Um Martinez obviously doesn't have near the UFC experience, but I think he's pretty good. Um, so 
I guess I'll go with Martinez. I mean, if science has anything in the gas tank, he should be good, but he's has started to uh, do one thing I meant to bring up when we were talking about Bechkoea. Um, not all aged fighters get this way, but fighters with a lot of damage taken get this way. And some fighters just do it from the get-go, but Frankie says at this point where when they get hit, they freeze. doesn't matter what they're doing or what they're about to do, if it's a combination or that, they get hit, they freeze. Which then gives their opportunity, their opponent opportunity to like pour it on or switch positions or something like that. And Frankie Sainz is kind of to that point. You hit him, he freezes. So I think Jonathan Martinez can hit him enough times to look for more openings. Mike, the Dragon Martinez versus Frankie Isava. I think that uh, Jonathan Martinez is going to get the win here. I think he's longer, younger, stronger. Uh, more agile, just everything. I think that for science, time is done, and the Martinez could, most. I think he's going to get a finisher. Next up, Kevin Holland is a minus two ten favorite versus Trevin Giles, who is plus one seventy five. Kind of always been fairly high in Kevin Holland. I thought he had a decent ceiling. Um, I have been proven wrong a couple times, but I, I don't. I still think the talent. Uh, is there uh, and he has a chance so i'm gonna go with him i would not pay at this steep of odds but i'm I'm gonna go with the trailblazer mike kevin holland versus trevin giles uh this is an interesting one i i love i love kevin holland when he's serious and when he's trying to do uh his his best but a lot of times he messes around and it gives little lapses that i can't trust at such steep odds um I think that he's susceptible to getting caught. I think that he he is great, but he's just not as good as he thinks he is. I'm gonna just go with I'm gonna go with the dog on this one, man. I I feel something weird. No, I get you. I get you. I mean, I was actually leaning towards uh, Trevin Giles a little bit, but then I remembered that like he loves to get guillotine choked, mm-hmm. and not saying that That's Kevin true. Holland can hit him in that because he's not known for his submissions, but I don't know. For me, if there's a guy that consistently loses a very particular way, if a guy trains that way, I don't know. So I think Kevin Holland is athletic enough to pull that off like in a, like in a scramble-type position. But So I could definitely see that uh, you're leaning on Trevin Giles. Next up, this is actually the only underdog, for the most part, that I like truly like on the fight card, but I'm still not sure if I'm going to bet it. It's for sure not a bet for the show. And I guess if the odds change quite a bit or, I don't know, something just tickles my fancy, I'll go with it. But uh, Bobby Green off his Clay Guido win, Clay Guido win um, is plus, I think, 120 now. I had him originally at plus 130. I know the odds have changed, though. Plus 125 for Bobby Green versus Lando Venata, minus 145. I think that he has straighter boxing. And by that, I mean, actually throws in combination and throws right down the pipe, whereas uh, Lando Venata throws wild and crazy and can hit, can, he can get hit with straight shots. Um, I very much disparaged Bobby Green on the last time when he was going to fight Clay Guida, talking about his lower output. And in general, he does. He kind of had quite a bit more output in that Guida fight. And if that's new Bobby Green, I'm all for him here. I just I don't know if that's the new normal or just the one fight. So... Picking green, but no bet as of now. Mike, green versus Venata. Oh, man, uh, this is another weird one. Uh, green, he's good, and then he has his lapses too, so I, I can't trust him. I'm going to go with Venata. I think Venata's just got a little bit more grit. Okay. 
Next up, sorry, a little jumble with the order of things here. Uh, next up, Vincente Luque, longtime favorite of this show, is a minus 185 favorite versus Randy Brown, plus 160. I love Luque here. This is another one of the ones that, like, I was going in, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to pick Vincente Luque. This is going to be so great. And he's minus 185. It's like all these super, super steep odds on people that I like. It does not make me a happy man. Um, I know he got a win the last time out, but Nico Price laid some hands on him early, and I just hope that that chin isn't cracked. I know he didn't put him out, but he definitely was putting on some serious power there. I'm not saying Randy Brown can do that, but he started defining, finding his finishability, and I don't know. I think Luke a should clearly win here, if not get a finish at some point. But obviously, there's a chance it can go the other way. So my pick is Luke. I wish the odds were a little bit better, but I'm picking Luke. Mike, Luke, Brown. Yeah, I like Luke in the spot. I think that his jiu-jitsu is just way better than Brown, and that alone uh, is his edge to win and, and why I would pick him. In the coming event, Joanne Jojo, Dr. Neville, Bad Mofo Jojo, Calderwood steps in to fight Jennifer Maya. Um, originally Calderwood was supposed to fight for the belt, but after Shevchenko got injured, that's been delayed and she's hopped into fight. So, I mean, kudos to her probably needs a payday given quarantine and numerous other factors. Uh, at the time of my notes, which was just yesterday, she was minus 190. She is already down to minus 160. Quite the drop down. Um, again, Jennifer Maya, Jennifer Maya is decent on the ground. Um, not, I don't think, enough to overtake Calderwood. I, don't know. I just think when JoJo is on, she's really on with throwing combinations and knees up the pipe and everything like that. So I'm going to go with Calderwood. Uh, if she gets closer to even money, I'm just, just going to have to bet it. But as of right now, I'm stepping away. Mike, the lone female fight on the fight card. Oh, man. Well, at the MMA for Money show, we've always been uh, big fans of JoJo. Uh, super sweet girl, great fighter, great heart. Um, but... Uh, I don't know on this one, man. <clears throat> Jennifer Maya is a, is a tough character. I don't know on the late replacement how ready Calderwood is. So I'm going to have to lead uh, lean with Maya. In the main event, we have a... Well, you can't call it a unique situation because it's kind of like the third time they've tried this. So Derek Brunson is a minus 285 underdog versus Edmund Shabazian who is minus 345. Yes, I'm aware. That's probably the fourth or fifth different way I've pronounced his last name. The longer he's in the UFC, the better I'll get it. Trained by Edmund of Ronda Rousey fame. Managed <laughs> by Ronda Rousey. Um, this will be the third time that the UFC played the if you beat Derek Lewis, you're in the line for a title type situation. Um, they've tried it a bunch of different times, but like the most successfully happened when he went against Robert Whitaker and when he went against Israel Adesanya. And if we get, I'm going for broke Derek. Derek Brunson is frustrating because he has good wrestling, if not great wrestling. Like he took down Yoel Romero a bunch of times, has power in his hands and can blitz like there's no tomorrow. But the hard part is when he blitzes, he swings wildly and his chin's right up in the air. So anyone that throws straight with some power, like how Whitaker did to him and how Adesanya did to him, it's like they take him out in pretty short order. But in general, he's a tough out. Um, there's other fighters that fall into this mold in different weight classes. And even there's other ones within middleweight that they use for this. But 
It seems, seems to be that Derek Brunson is their favorite for this type of situation. And, I mean, the odds have gone here because everyone's been betting on uh, Edmund because I think he opened at minus 140. So in the last couple weeks, this is just absolutely steamroll. Like I should give you guys how this went. He, uh, he opened at... Oh, he opened at minus 240, but then he dipped all the way down. Oh, no, that's the other side. Either, either way, it's just gone up and 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 up because we've seen this game before. We've seen this story play out. If, if Derek runs forward, he's getting laid out. If Edmund runs forward, Derek's probably getting laid out. Derek could have a smart game plan here. He absolutely could. He could be a little bit more pot shotty and play to his strengths. Add in the wrestling with the power. It's possible. So it depends on the Derek Brunson we're seeing. But, oh man, he loves to get a knockout. And if he's going to go for one here, he's looking to get knocked out himself. So a long-winded way of saying that I think this is going to go exactly the way most everyone else is saying it's going to go. With a finish from Edmund, I've heard some say they think it's going to go. There's only going to be a three-round ones, three-round fight because the main event fell out and two last minute to change the contracts and all that. But I've heard people say, "Oh, my go decision. Oh, my go third round." That's possible, but I don't think it's going to breach the first five minutes. That's just me personally. So if you want a little extra props going on there, go for that. But picks Edmund because I think Brunson's going to Brunson. <laughs> Mike, how do you feel about this middleweight main event? Yeah, man, if Brunson didn't rush in with his chin open and, uh, you know, vulnerable to being clipped by a good striker, which Edmund is a pretty good striker, I would say that Brunson would have this all day and because of his wrestling advantage. But Brunson always leaves his chin open at certain spots, and he's vulnerable to a left cross. He's vulnerable to a left hook. He's just vulnerable to a lot of strikes. I think that uh, Edmund's that guy, and I think Edmund's going to knock him out. Well, with that, we want to review and quick tell you guys our bets, a.k.a. our bet, because we are just doing the one for this coming weekend. We have 1.65 units. That's to win one unit for Tamur Valiev at the minus 165. Obviously, keep an eye on it. If that dips lower, it's up to you to put more on it. We have told you other leans if you want to go that way. But as of right now, that is our only bet on this fight card. Now, Mike, before we do our outro and let the people know what's going on, is there anything else you would like to say before we go? Uh, we just appreciate you guys listening each and every week. Uh, make sure you go to MMAformoney.com and get yourself a NASCAR package because Prime's hit another one last week, and I believe it was a uh, plus 1,400. So uh, make sure you get your package because he hits them, and he's hitting them always. I'm not going to lie. It's borderline crazy uh, at this point. <laughs> it's, it's insane. If all you get from this show at this point is that you buy one of those packages, you've gotten enough. Because like we're trying to win you money, yeah. But I mean, we're because that's not how odds and MMA work typically. It's like we're we're making you guys money, but Prime's making you big money. I don't either either way. Um, to each his own. But there, there's money to be made. Um, we will be back next week to preview UFC on ESPN Plus. Lewis versus Olenek. Um, that's happening on August 8th. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your platform of choice. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Podcast, RSS Feed. Remember to subscribe to us on YouTube, please. We're trying to get those numbers up. Also, share them. It's a nice little way to break down like little tidbit, two to three minute type deals of like stuff that happened on this show. So your favorite segment might end up being a clip that you can share, which would be awesome. Um, like, comment, and share to spread the word. And with that... Let's roll. roll.